Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. For today, we're going to continue off what we preached, uh, what I preached on last Thursday, which I began in the teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, activating the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Remember, I said that um, the Holy Ghost is like electricity. He can, you know, be on a person's life. You know, you can have your house electrified and you can have electricity running through your walls. But if you don't have appliances, electricity won't, you, won't do you any good. Just having electricity. And that's where a lot of churches stick. They stick to, we need the anointing. We need the fire of God. We need uh, the power of God at work in our lives. But then that's where they stay. They don't move on to, how does the Spirit manifest practically in our services, in our meetings, in our day-to-day living? He's not some mystical, ethereal force in the heavens that does things at random and we can't really find out how he does them we just know that he does them that's not what the bible says the old testament in isaiah 55 the bible says that his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts but even in the old testament moses psalm 107 says that god made known or psalm 105 god made known his ways to moses and his acts to the children of israel so we're not to walk aimlessly throughout life just praying god does something through us well lord i I pray you use me today. How will God use you? That's where the gifts of the Spirit come into play. We're not called to win the loss in our own strength. We're not called to win the loss in our own efficacy because all of the strength, the Bible says even the strength of man isn't even comparable to the weaknesses of God. That's not saying God has weaknesses. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 is trying to paint a picture that even God's weakness which he doesn't have weakness, but even if he had a weakness, it would be far stronger and far greater than even the the powers of this age accumulated in one, the weaknesses of God would still outmatch it. And then he goes on to say, even the foolishness of God, which God does not have any foolishness. He's the only wise God, the King eternal. The Bible says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the knowledge and the understanding of God. His ways are, are past finding out. His judgments are, are past human judgments, meaning his wisdom and his knowledge is past what humans unredeemed humans can even generate in their own selves and so paul's telling you that if you think that you're going to do the work of god in your own efficacy in your own strength in your own might by your own efforts you are going to be gravely disappointed you're going to strive through life you're going to be frustrated day in and day out because you're thinking i'm i'm working hard but i'm not having any results god did not call you to work hard god you know this is going to be a controversial statement that I make and it already is but I'm going to say it anyways God did not call you to be faithful just to be faithful God called you to be faithful to the right thing if you're faithful at the wrong thing your efforts are in vain but when you become faithful to the right thing you're going to see that you won't have to work as hard but you'll have much more results five minutes in the anointing will produce more than 50 years of natural strength natural efforts natural networking connections with others five minutes in the anointing will do for you more than 50 years of your own strength at work 
can ever produce. I mean, you can see that in the life of John Osteen, the guy who founded Lakewood Church in Texas, Houston, Texas. He, he, he started off with a church that was like, I don't know, 400 members or something like that, 500 members. And then by the working of what I'm going to talk about today, the power gifts of the Holy Ghost, by the working of miracles in his ministry, by the word of knowledge, by all kinds of manifestations of the Spirit in his meetings on Sunday morning. Some people, you know, and, and it's sad to say, a lot of churches, they leave the gifts of the Spirit only for like special anointing services. You know, like we have one day of Pentecost a year. That's when we'll let the Holy Ghost out for a little bit, get his time in. And then the other 51 weeks of the year, we're going back to our regular scheduled programming. I'm not interested in that. The Bible in the book of Acts shows you that <laughs> without the Spirit of God at work, you might as well just close up shop. Without the anointing of God, the, these gifts flowing in us on every Sunday and then throughout the week then the church is laboring uh, relentlessly and struggling and frustrating themselves because you're going to you're going to see what God did in the book of Acts try and set up your own programs and uh, deny the power thereof that's actually able to bring you results and as such you'll just stay in a frustrated state a stagnant state you'll never move on but John Osteen I remember watching one of his Sunday Sunday uh, sermons uh, one of the archived videos that he has where he calls someone out by the gifts of, of the word of knowledge there was someone that was crippled in the in the far end of the auditorium and that person uh that person's end up ends up getting rolled in by wheelchair into the middle aisle and then by the working of miracles he goes and lifts him up out of that wheelchair the guy was paralyzed from the waist down and starts walking through the throughout the church but up and and down aisles and from that one miracle they went from like a thousand people to like two thousand three thousand four thousand i think they were five thousand by the end of that year and then it just multiplied as these gifts kept on working kept on operating through him remember and let me read this first corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1 listen to this now concerning if you're just tuning in now you'd be a great help to me if you share the broadcast and help this get out to as many people as possible. I believe this is going to mark a change in people's life. This broadcast is going to take you to another level in God's power. This broadcast is not just going to, you know, a lot of you are anointed, but this broadcast, I believe, is going to help you to use that anointing practically so you can help people around you. It doesn't matter how anointed you are. If you don't, it doesn't matter how much electricity is in my wall. If I don't plug in these lights that are around me right now, then the lights won't do me any good and the electricity is being wasted. People are wasting the anointing on their life and they're so busy crying out for God to give them an increased anointing when they haven't even used the anointing that they have. Some people don't need more of the anointing. They need to learn how to release and transfer that anointing into others so that you can see people healed you can see the blind eyes open you can see deaf ears unstopped jesus drank from the same fountain that we drink from he got baptized in the holy spirit the holy ghost descended upon him as like of a dove and it rested on him then he returned in the power of the spirit into galilee and he began to do signs and wonders he went about the seas of galilee pre 
preaching the gospel, teaching the kingdom, and healing every kind of sickness. He didn't do that because he was just the son of God. He was always a son of God. When he was five years old, he was the son of God. But when the anointing came on him and he returned in the power of that anointing, that's when signs and wonders broke out. The church of God is anointed. The Bible says, that we have an anointing from the Holy One. But we've been sitting on our anointing, doing nothing, expecting God to do all the work when God has actually said, I am now putting you to work. I am now setting you as my hands and feet on the earth. Some of you have been crying out to God, Lord, I want to be used more. Lord, I want to see these marvelous works that you've done in the book of Acts and all throughout the scriptures working in my life. But I don't know where to start. This is, this is basic 101. The gifts of the Spirit, without them, you, <laughs> your, 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 your efforts are going to be frustrated. But when you, this is like basics 101 to evangelism. When you start to see, and not only in evangelism, when these gifts start operating in your life for you too. Where when your kid is sick, you don't have to call pastor at 3 a.m. in the morning. But you can, you can get into that anointing. And by the gifts of healing, begin to lay hands on your kid and have a transference of that anointing and blast sickness out of that child. If you're stuck financially, you can begin to use that gift called faith to begin to call in finances, sowing seeds, calling in finances, and God going to work, opening you up to, to heaven's resources. If you have a, a you know... A problem in your back or whatnot. You can work miracles. You think God wants you to work miracles on everyone else while you stay sick and damaged and bruised and stuck and confined to a hospital room? The very first miracle God will work before he works through you is the miracle God is going to work in you. The anointing will break you free. And then freely as you receive, God will begin to use those gifts through you to set other men free. And I see you taking that position today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. No longer are you going to be a beggarly Christian going from revival meeting to revival meeting seeking a breakthrough. The believer is not called to seek breakthrough. The believer is called to carry breakthrough where he goes. The, uh, the believer, you're not anointed to go from one ditch to another ditch. You were anointed to go from glory to glory so that God can show you as a testimony to to this world when you follow me life is not ups and downs life is that of upward and that of forward come unto me jesus said and he didn't say i'm going to show you how life can be hard i'm going to show you how when jesus walked the earth that was the end of miracles now you're really in for it no he said come unto me and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you it's easy and my burden which is light and you will find rest for your souls God you know that's the thing a picture that people have of God that God is interested in everyone else but themselves I'm here to tell you if you had any doubt God is interested in you God loves you God wants to work a miracle for you God wants these the gifts of healing not only to flow through you he wants to heal you God sent his son born of a woman born of a virgin to redeem us who were lost who were broken who had no way out he made a way where there 
was no way. The redemption of our souls was too costly. But what we could not do and weaken the flesh, God did by his son. That now the, we, the, 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 the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set us free from the laws and sin of, of sin and death. You might be in this world, but you're not of this world. You are the called out one. You once were not the people of God, but now are you the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You once were desolate, destroyed, foreigners cut off from the goodness of God, but now you are a member of his house and a member of his body in particular. And as such, there are no small plans that God has for you. He said, I know the thoughts I have for you. He didn't say, I know the thoughts I have for everyone but you. He said, I know I have the, I know the thoughts I have for you. That when, <laughs> hallelujah, when you walk through the rivers, they won't drown you. When you go through the waters, it won't overflow you. When you go through the fire, it won't burn you. You won't even come out smelling like smoke. And their plans for a future and plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So let's get into this. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Isn't it funny that the one thing Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant on. Here we are in 2021. Most churches, if the gifts of the spirit hit them in the head on a Sunday morning, they wouldn't know what just hit them. If the Holy Ghost came into their church with a top hat on and a full out suit with a, 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 a staff in his hand and sat in the front row and said, I'm here. They wouldn't know. They'd escort him right back out from where he came. Some people are so ignorant. And if you're ignorant, God can't do it through you. That's why it's important to sit under teachings like this. Because as the light of his word gets in you, it exposes the ignorance. And then it brings a solution to ignorance, which is knowledge. By what? By lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. Not because of a God who doesn't want to work through them. My people aren't destroyed because, you know, it's no longer the day of miracles. Now we're in a different age of the church. No, my people are robbed of what they could have because they have no knowledge. And the reason they have no knowledge is not because God has kept it back from them. He's wrote. He, he's written this book 40 plus different authors over 4,000 years or whatever. Uh, 2,500 years of authorship. Where he's made it a point to get knowledge in us. But when people start coming up with their own ideas of who God is. You know, there was a church I just saw last week. They put out in Nashville, Tennessee, they put out a post saying we are a progressive church. What have you progressed past? And what has your progressive Christianity produced other than an apostate nation? Other than people who have no desire to come to your church anymore. In their efforts to remain relevant, they have lost total relevance trying to satisfy everyone, and in doing so, they've displeased God and forfeited their biblical right to exist. We're a progressive Christian. What, was Jesus an ancient Christian? Was he some regressive Christian? Was Jesus in the book of Acts, the early church, who, by the way, were having thousands added to the church daily? Were they, were they like a, a, a primitive, a primitive uh, people? 
And we've, we've, you know, through the years, because of technological advancement and the studies of Plato and, and Socrates, we've actually developed something a little more intellectually appeasing to the people, appealing to the people than that of Christianity. Those teachings are outdated and no longer relative to the people of 20. Yeah, look at what that's done for you. You have a generation that <laughs> has not seen the work and the power of God at work in our midst. Because we're trying to adapt culturally, uh, culturally appealing teachings. We want to talk about the love of God. We want to talk about God's forgiveness for mankind. We want to talk about all those things. But we have a form of godliness. But what happens? They deny the power that actually sets people free. You can tell people. That um, they shouldn't sin. You can tell them all they want. You can tell them not to, not to stay uh, as homosexuals. You can beat them over the head and tell them they shouldn't be sleeping with people that aren't their wives or their spouses. You can tell them that they shouldn't be watching uh, you know, fornication on their television screens. You can tell them that they shouldn't remain sexually more. You can tell them all those things. Just telling them isn't going to get put a conviction in them where they actually turn from their wicked ways. There has to be a display of God's power. When the power gifts are in operation, the very first thing it's going to do is, number one, it's going to set the person free, but number two, it's going to convict them of the reality of the words that we speak, that we aren't speaking about some concept of who God is. We're not declaring to you some foreign deity. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible says Paul came to a region that were given over to idol worship in Lystra. Acts chapter 14, when a miracle took place and a man who was born impotent from his mother's womb and he began to walk, what happened? He didn't have to sit them down and say, hey, listen, um, you know, if you really want to serve God, you're going to have to leave those idols. You're going to have to abandon idol worship. And, uh, you, you know, the Bible says the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments is that you should love no other God except for me. Put no other God first. So we're going to have to sit down and start burning. No, they didn't have to compel. He didn't have to compel them to do those things. Just that one power gift on display, that working of miracles, where he told a man to stand up straight on his feet. And when he did, his ankle bones, his feet were strengthened. Immediately, the people said, man, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. He didn't have to persuade them that the message he was preaching was the power of God. That's why he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because when the gospel is truly preached under the anointing of God, it will produce power that is necessary to convict men of sin, to convict men of righteousness, and to convict men of, of, of the ultimate judgment. And you see that throughout the ministry of Paul. That's why he said, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of man's wisdom declaring to you the counsel of God. I came in much weakness and trembling and in tears. And my message and my preaching was not great, but I had it in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. One thing that separated Smith Wigglesworth in his day, a hundred years ago when he was ministering, was that he would oftentimes, even before he preached, some, in some cases, before he even preached, he would get up and ask for who was the most sick person or the most like screwed up case in the, in the sanctuary. And he'd have him come forth. And he said, before I even preach, I'm going to show you that I'm not blowing smoke. And he would work a miracle. The gifts of healing would flow through him, whatever it was. Person was deaf. His ear would come open. Person was blind. His eye would open. And then, do you think he had to tell the kids to, you know, 
put away their cartoons. I don't know what they had in church services back then. Now it's like cell phones, but back then, I, back then, I guess it's like little cartoon books or whatnot, drawing books, coloring books, who knows? He didn't have to convince them to put it away. The kids would be glued as he preached and taught the scriptures. Jesus, the Bible says, if you do not believe me because of my words, at least believe because of the works that you see me do. God did not equip us with these power gifts so we can have some magic show. No, the gifts of the Spirit are not for show. They are for service, for the edification of the church, to build up the church to the glory of God. But if you're ignorant, you'll be cut off. If I Look, if I don't know how to operate heavy machinery, put me behind the wheel. It's not going to go well. I'll destroy, I'll not build. If you put me behind a crane, or you put me behind a, a um, I don't know, a, a, an excavator, a digger, and you know they're trained to know how to dig, how deep to dig, what pressure to dig at on different soils and grounds, so they would know what they're doing, so they don't go too far and break something like a pipe that's underneath. So they're experts in doing that. If you put me behind, I w- I would destroy the pipe. I wouldn't know what I was doing. I wouldn't get the job done right. Why? Because I'm ignorant. I've never taken a class on that. You know, <laughs> if, if you wanted to be a pilot, would you just buy a plane and get behind the wheel of the plane and just take off and succeed the first? No, you would, you, first of all, it's illegal. You'd have to get a license. And even after you get your license, nobody would get in that plane with you unless you've accumulated a certain amount of hours. And until that happens, you have an instructor or an assistant by you, an assistant pilot who's an expert in it, who has like 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 hours under his belt, who can help you and assist you. You wouldn't trust getting into a plane with someone who has no idea what he's doing just because he owns a plane. So just because these gifts are available to us, if you're ignorant to how they're used, God's not going to trust you in, in their use. God's not going to trust in giving them to you. You have. That's why the Bible says the same God works all these things. He distributes them to each individually as he wills, as God wills. They're not as we will. They are as he wills. And the good news is, is he does will, but his will in uh, allowing you to flow in these things is dependent upon your study of the word of God and your study in those that carry them in your, in your generation, in our generation. That, that is, um, that is a, a, a law that you have to follow in order to operate in these gifts. So I would not have you ignorant. That goes to show if you're ignorant, and that's why like I said before, a lot of churches don't have them flowing because they're ignorant. They don't teach people. They don't teach the gifts of the Spirit. In their services. They don't tell people about the working of miracles. Well, what if we start preaching about the working of miracles and there's no miracles in that service? You know, we're going to really look dumb. I would rather be faithful to declaring things that are helpful to people. Like Paul said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of the word of God. I didn't hold back those things that were helpful to you. And then he said, I'm free from the blood of all men. 
I'm free. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I'd rather get before God one day and said, I preached on miracles and there were some services where nothing happened, but at least I preached on miracles and him say, well done. You were faithful to my word. Now be entrusted to much. Then get before God and God tell me there were people that needed miracles in those services. There were people that needed healing in those services. There were people that needed encouragement by prophecy or the word of knowledge in those services. And you weren't faithful in the giftings that I gave you. That's essentially Matthew 25 in a nutshell. There was the man who received the five talents, the five giftings, and he went out and he produced five more talents. The other one had two talents and he produced two more. The other one had one and he said, I wasn't sure about my master's integrity. I wasn't sure about my master's goodness. And so he went and he dug the one talent. And when his master summoned him, he said, you unfaithful, wicked, profitless, unprofitable servant. You should have at least put my money in the bank. At least then I would have had a return on my money. God entrusts these gifts to those that are faithful and he demands a return on them. So let me go on. You know that you were Gentiles and carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are different diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all these things. But the manifestation of the Spirit, I'm going to stop there. That word manifestation is uh, the word phoseros, I think it is, in the Greek. Something like that. I'm not sure about the phonetic uh, enunciation of the word is, but I'm pretty sure it's like phoseros, phoneros, phoneros, something like that. And it means, it means the visible, tangible evident presence of that thing so the gifts of the spirit are not something that are done behind the scenes and ultimately we can't see them being done we can't see them at work these gifts are manifested physically so that our eyes can see them at work why do you think in acts chapter 8 simon the sorcerer when he saw peter and john laying hands on people and the gift of the holy ghost being ministered to them that he offered them silver and gold the bible says when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Why do you think he offered them money? Why do you think he, had, there was, um, he saw value in what they were doing? Because there was something, there was a notable manifestation of the transference. When the Holy Spirit came on someone, there was something you can see. They either spoke with tongues, they prophesied, whatever. But there was something they that Simon was able to witness before his eyes. So when the Holy Spirit is manifestation, there is something you will witness. It won't be some, you know, mystic power in the air that just covers and encompasses us round about and we all sense a peace in our hearts. That is one of the manifestations, but there's, a, there's something you're going to be able to see with your physical eyes that you'll be able to leave that meeting and say, man, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in manifestation. Paul is saying that. The manifestation, the ability to see the Spirit at work is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles. Verse 11 says, The one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So I want to, I want to point out, Paul, after every gift is saying, by the same spirit, by the same spirit, by the same spirit. 
I'm about to go into the three gifts of the Spirit that, in my opinion, are the most controversial gifts because every time someone starts to operate in these gifts, the working of miracles, signs and wonders, healings, whatever, the moment you step out in faith to do that, that is where people start to label you as demonic. People start to label you as, as, as in, in cahoots with the devil. They start to label you as a witch. You're, you're dabbling into witchcraft. What do you think they did in Jesus' day? He cast out a spirit, which happens by the gift of faith. He cast out a demon spirit. And immediately, the Pharisee says, this man cast out spirits because he's been sent from the prince of demons, Beelzebub. They said, the, you know, John the Baptist had a demon. He came neither eating nor drinking. And now they're saying Jesus has a demon because he, they accused him of being demon possessed because he came eating and drinking. So no matter what you do for God, when there's a, a manifestation of supernatural works at work, people, ministers, pastors, Christians, who don't have those things working in their life, but they think they're doing everything right. That's where you're cut off from the power gifts. When you have pride and you think you're doing everything okay, that you're serving God to the T, that ultimately, you know, uh, as a minister of the gospel, even though I'm not seeing what I've read in the book of Acts at work, I know I'm doing everything, everything that I know I should be doing. And as such, anyone who sees miracles, and I don't have miracles in my life, or I see people getting healed in other people's ministries, and I don't see people healed in my ministry, they label them as demonic because they are flooded with pride. Because I don't have it, nobody else should have it. Because I'm serving God 100%. And if those things were true, they'd be flowing through my ministry. That's the reasoning behind ministers that don't see these gifts and operations. There's a ministry I know of, and I won't name him because I'm a nice guy. And I'm not like him, who goes around calling people out by name. Uh, because they see miracles in their ministry and labels them as false prophets and false teachers and teachers of demonic doctrine or whatnot. But there's a minister who unfortunately, I don't know if he was born in a wheelchair or he ended up having an axe. I have no idea. I think he was born without the ability to walk. And um, he got around people that preached miracles and God, you know, whatever, for some reason or not, he, had, he, he never got a miracle in his legs. I'm convinced had he stuck with the message of faith, he would have had his legs uh, strengthened and he would have walked out of that wheelchair but he ended up abandoning the message of faith he abandoned the working of miracles he abandoned the teachings on the gifts as supernatural giftings to work what is not humanly possible by man and now his whole ministry is to like the watchman on the wall to go after people that have these gifts in their ministry he names them out by name calls them out as demonic and then you have a bunch of Christians that follow his teachings and so now they're taught that any time Someone comes out of a wheelchair, it must be the devil. Anytime a blind eye comes open, it must be the devil. Anytime a deaf ear, it must be the devil. Anytime um, there's a, a manifestation of demons and a minister casts them out, well, that man must be demonically possessed and in, in league with, with Satan himself because he wouldn't have been able to do it without it. They're so quick to label healing as the work of Satan, which Paul says there's the gifts of healing which is by the same Spirit. And remember, Jesus said, when you start to label Holy Spirit work as demonic, you are in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is an unforgivable, inexcusable sin. And you're in, you're, you're in danger of fire and hell and quick, swift judgment. 
So if I see something I'm not sure of, unless the minister comes out and starts saying, I am the son of God, or, you know, Jesus did not come by virgin birth, or, you know, Jesus never rose from the dead, neither did he die in the first place. Someone else took his spot. Unless they come out with like heretical doctrines, Jesus wasn't, you know, wasn't a holy person. He actually did sin. They come out with heretical doctrine like that. You know, I'll call them out by name. I'll be the first one to do it and stay clear from them. However, if I see something done in their meetings that I might not be sure about, but they're preaching Christ, they're preaching the Holy Ghost, but things are being done, maybe not in the way I've seen it done in the past, I, I'm quick to keep my mouth shut. I'd rather be silent in that state, in, in, in that circumstance, in that in that situation, and open my mouth up and declare myself to be a fool, not only before man, but before God and God's hand of blessing. You know, the Bible says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Just because someone is anointed to do something differently than you does not mean they're in league with the devil, does not mean they're operating by demonic powers and forces. And so you have this religious crowd that feel a burden. They feel like they've been given a task to go around outing ministries that don't do things the way they see it fit in their finite, small mind to do. And when, there's no ministry in the Bible called the ministry of, dis, of, of criticism. There's no ministry in the Bible called the ministry of judgment. There's no ministry in the Bible where they, feel, they you know, Paul had a burden in his heart to go out and call uh you know, when he saw Peter work a miracle, it wasn't exactly the way he felt was, you know, necessary. He pulled, Peter and John pulled that man right up off, off his, off that, that, that beggar's mat. And he was very rough with him when he pulled him up. And that can't be God. God's not rough like that. So Paul's whole ministry, if you read the epistles, it was just a rebuke to Peter and John as to how they, op no, it was, Paul didn't have a ministry. What did he say? He said, even if people are preaching Christ from selfish motive, at least Christ is being preached. Souls are being won. The gospel's at work. And I'll leave them be. The moment they got into heresy, that's where he was, he was quick to, to, to call them out. But it, just because they did it differently, he, he didn't call people out. So listen, the Bible says it's the same spirit that worketh all these things, distributing each one individually as he wills. Today... I'm going to go through the three power gifts. In this last day and hour, these are the gifts that I believe are going to be released at an all-time level in measures that we've not seen in the history of the church. I firmly believe that we're going to see the working of miracles take on an unprecedented manifestation in our services in our own lives because now more than ever do we have a generation that is unconvinced of the gospel and miracles are what convince people that the message we're preaching is true the bible says a true witness will deliver souls these gifts are given to the body to bring deliverance to souls deliverance to bodies so that people can see that our witness is true Paul said, I didn't come in word only. I came in the demonstration of the Spirit. He said, my gospel was in much assurance and in the Holy Ghost. He said, the kingdom of God is not only in word, but in power. Not in word only, but in power. Romans 15 verse 19, the Bible says, in mighty signs and wonders. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are the power gifts? Remember, we serve a powerful God. He is called El Shaddai, God Almighty. So if he calls himself God Almighty, and then he said, I am the head, but you are the body, then the same power in the head must flow through to the body. And the works that Jesus said, the works you've seen me do, they should be at work in us as the body or else we must be liars. Jesus didn't say, once I go, don't you, you know, the age of miracles is done. After those that have been around me, those 12 apostles, after they die off, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on to a new way of doing things. If that were true, which it's not, if that were true, this new way of doing things, this progressive Christianity, would produce greater results than what we saw in the book of Acts and greater results than what we saw in Jesus' ministry. We would be more impactful. We would be more uh, convincing. And there would be more people getting saved on a daily basis than ever before if God had a different program. Because remember, he saves the best for last. So obviously, God has not progressed in a new way. He's still doing things the same way he's always done them. And we see that in the book of Acts. Acts 8, Peter, uh, Philip goes down to the city called Samaria and he preaches Christ to them. As he does, people give heed to the words of Philip. Why did he get their attention? Why did he secure their attention? Because they were seeing and hearing the miracles that he was doing. For many that were taken with palsy and were paralyzed came up out of their, out of their state of paralysis and many that were demon-possessed were delivered, and there was great joy in that city. Bible doesn't say Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he reasoned daily. In the Matter of fact, if you study the ministry of Paul, everywhere he desired to reason in the synagogues, everywhere he took an intellectual approach to soul winning, he never really had much impact. Acts chapter 19 is a perfect example. Acts 19, he's in the school of Tyrannus two full years preaching and reasoning daily to people who wanted to hear what he had to say and it doesn't show that he has much much effect much results felt like he was just beating a uh, beating a wall but the scripture says in acts 19 11, then after two years of teaching the word preaching the word then god began to work extraordinary miracles by the hands of paul so that handkerchiefs Handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to those that were sick and the demons left them and the sick were healed. And then what happened? Those that were given to magic, those that were astrologers, those that were sorcerers, those that were uh, idolaters, the Bible says they began to bring their magic books and burnt them in the city center in the sight of all and the sum of all the magic books the amount it cost the value of those books together all their idols all their graven images all of it combined together was uh i forget how much it was acts 19 i think the equivalent of today today's currency would have been like millions of dollars 50,000 pieces of silver I mean, that's a lot of money. So their, their repentance cost them something. 
And their repentance wasn't instigated because, you know, Paul had a PowerPoint presentation behind him and he said, you know, here are the reasons why I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, here are the pros and the cons if you'll, if you'll follow this teaching. He didn't do that. He tried that for two full years, but then when there was a display of God's wonderful power, his explosive nature, dynamic power, then people, they didn't have to, what just happened there? That guy's handkerchiefs are doing that? Well, I recant my faith, I recant my God, and I'm going after the God that Paul preaches. So these gifts are given to the prophet of all, and if we're going to preach some powerful God that we have, you know, he's the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me, he said. The Bible says he is the glorious God, glorious in holiness, who does signs and wonders amongst his people. So Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Why do we need to have these power gifts at work? It's a twofold purpose. Psalm 66, 3 says this, Say unto God, how marvelous are thy works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemy will be, at, will be submissive to you. Through the greatness of your power, your enemy will submit to you. These the Son of God and His power was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. It's a twofold purpose. Number one, it destroys the work of the devil in men's life. And number two, it convinces people of the power of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that resurrection power that happened in that tomb when Christ's body was raised from the dead, that resurrection power didn't leave when Jesus left. He said, I'm going to send you another. That same resurrection power is going to flow through you. That on whomsoever you lay your hands, they will recover. Whenever you speak unto the mountain, it will move. Whenever you open, uh, whenever you pray for the deaf, their deaf ears will open. So he wasn't saying that when I resurrect and I go to heaven, don't go out and try to do anything. You know, all this marvelous power at work, you know, it's, it's leaving with me. No, he said the same works are you going to do. And these works come by the power of gifts. Number one is the gift of faith. What is the gift of faith? The gift of faith is not normal faith. It's not, it's not universal faith. There's three types of faith that can be in men. Number one is universal faith. We all have this. Universal faith, the unbeliever has it just as much as the believer has it it's the faith to sit down on a chair and trust that it's not going to break on you it's the faith that a fisherman has in casting out his net out of his boat knowing that he's if he does this in the right place at the right time of the day he's going to collect uh, uh he's going to collect fish in his net it's the faith that a farmer has when he goes to sow seed he knows that if he sows a seed and he waters that seed, and he takes heed to the development of that seed, that the earth itself, he trusts, that universal faith allows a farmer to trust the earth's process in that the seed is going to die, fermentation will take place, and then it's going to rise again, and it's going to produce a crop. That is universal faith. That is not what the gift of faith is. Then, there's ordinary faith or salvation faith, redemption faith. 
This in Romans 12, 3, Paul says, is the measure of faith that God deals to everyone who believes. Remember, we are saved by grace through faith. That is the gift of God. That faith to believe, to have your eyes open to the truth of the gospel is the gift of God. Remember, Jesus said, no man can believe on me unless the Father who sent me draws him. When God drops that measure of faith, that gift call, that that. Um, that gift of salvation faith in you it empowers you to believe on the gospel the trust in the resurrection ascension and soon coming return of christ that is a measure of faith that faith can be developed that faith can be increased remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god that is um of faith that you're expected to take responsibility over to increase the the efficacy of that faith the uh, the strength of that faith and the fortitude of that faith. That's your responsibility. And you do that by studying the word of God to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed. I'm not talking about that faith today. That faith can be little faith. That faith can be uh, great faith. That faith, uh, you can actually operate in the spirit of faith in that in that salvation faith you develop to the point where you're operating in the spirit of faith you can develop to the point where you operate in great faith you can keep it at the little faith level and have little results that is solely dependent upon you i'm not talking about that today the gift of faith is the ability to believe beyond beyond that human level of faith it is not the faith that paul says in galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. That's talking about character, integrity. That's talking about loyalty to God and loyalty to men. That's talking about, about being a faithful man, about being a trustworthy man, a trustworthy person. That's the fruit of faith. This is the gift of faith. This is when your natural faith runs out, this is the faith of God, the perfect faith of God. It's Christ's faith working in you. It's when God's very own faith takes over your faith to empower you to believe in, uh, for something that you otherwise had doubts about. It's not an optimism. It's not being a glass half full kind of person. It's not someone who's, you know, that guy's just... He just always sees positivity in every. That's not the gift of faith. The gift of faith, Mark eleven twenty three. 23, Jesus explains what it is. He says, have the faith of God. For if you have the faith of God, you will say to this mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the midst of the sea. And you won't doubt in your heart. If you have strong faith, that you've developed to the point of strong faith, you still might be susceptible to doubt and to thoughts of negativity and you have to take authority over those thoughts. You have, to take, um, you have to take dominion over the thoughts of unbelief that might still cross your, 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 your mind. Abraham had strong faith, Romans 4, but he still had, obviously he still had thoughts of unbelief because the Bible says he, he tried to have a son through, uh, through um, Hagar and that gave birth to Ishmael, which wasn't the way God wanted it to be. So there crept into his mind thoughts of, of unbelief. There, there were times where he had seasons of doubt. There were times where he had seasons of skepticism. He wasn't absolutely certain at some points in his life. Or else he wouldn't have made those, those mistakes. See, he had moments of weakness. The gift of faith empowers you to believe for something. That from the moment that gift comes on you to the moment it comes to pass. 
You never waver. There is not one moment where you waver. There's not one moment where you say, man, I don't know if it's going to come to pass. Man, I'm not sure. There's no wavering in your confession. You're, from the moment you, that gift comes and unlocks, is unlocked in your life, from that moment, that time where you start to uh, seed and sow seeds of faith, to the moment you actually see the manifestation of that thing in your life, there, there isn't any uncertainty. There's no double-mindedness to it. There's a confidence. There is a rest. There is a quietness and a peace in your spirit that knows that if God promised it, I'm fully persuaded it's, it's going to come to pass. Where do we see that at work in the life of Jesus? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They get into the boat. As they're on their way, there's a mighty storm that rises up and the disciples begin to panic. And they started to run to where Jesus was. Where was Jesus? Asleep in the storm. The gift of faith. Now, how does the gift of faith differ from the working of miracles? The gift of faith is a passive gift. The gift of faith receives miracles. It does not do anything to produce the miracle other than to just simply believe God. Remember, all things are possible to him that believes. All things. So if you, if you want something done in your life that is beyond the realm of possibility, this gift is going to help you in your own life and in encouraging others. Because people, when you have a gift, the gift of faith working in you, and I felt this come on me while, I was pre while, I've been pre uh, while I've preached in certain places, where it doesn't just empower you to believe God for the, the insane, People that are hearing you preach under the unction of that gift called faith are themselves encouraged and strengthened in their own faith. It, it like rubs off on them. So that what they used to think was ridiculous now is like totally sane. Sane to believe God for. So Jesus is sleeping. That, that's what this gift does. This gift, even, you know, it, it's not moved by exterior circumstances. What's going on in your environment? Even if, if God spoke something to you that you're going to get to the other side, even if a storm comes on you, even if it seems like all hell breaks loose, even if it seems like things went from bad to worse, this gift of faith is going to keep you consistent, consistently peaceful, with the ability to have the best night's rest, even in the midst of things breaking out around, breaking... Uh, going chaotic around you. Now you can see why this gift is valuable. Why the Holy Ghost gives the, this gift to, to, to people. Because it benefits you in two areas. Number one, in protection. And in number two, in provision. This gift is going to enable you to believe God for A, protection. And then B, provision. We can see that protection part in what I just, uh, the story I just told you about. Jesus in Mark chapter 4. He was sleeping in the stern because he knew. doesn't matter what storm's rising up against me. I know I'm getting to the other side. So he caught some shut-eye while everyone else was frantically running around not knowing what had hit them. And then what happened? That same gift that, caused him to, that enabled him to sleep in the storm, when the disciples were bothered by the storm, Jesus got up and by that same gift, he spoke to the storm and said, hush, be still. And there was a great calm. So that gift gave them protection in the storm from the storm and then number two you look at Daniel's life 
Daniel chapter 6 gets thrown into the lion's den because he refuses to stop praying. What happened? Nebuchadnezzar, or was it Darius? Darius said, I know that your God whom you serve, I pray that he'll be able to deliver you. They throw him in the lion's den. What did Daniel do throughout that whole night? Was he having to fend off lions? Did they get, the, get to the den of lions the next day and all the lions were dead and Daniel was like bloodied? But he, he, you know, he made it through? No, that would have been the working of miracles. For him to take on that many lions, it would have to have been the working of miracles working through him. Because like I said before, the gift of faith is you passively believing God for a miracle. You don't do anything to add to the miracle. Whereas the working of miracles is on the aggressive side. It's where God works through you. The gift of faith is where God does for you. The gift of the working of miracles is where God works through you to get something done that would not be possible in the ordinary, you know, the, the natural course of nature. So if Daniel had destroyed the lions, ripped their mouths apart, like Samson did when he, he, he killed that lion, like when the spirit of might came on David and he killed the lion and the bear, that would have been a working of miracles. But what did Daniel do? Daniel chapter 6, let me read it. Daniel chapter 6, if this message is helping you today, uh, share it, help others too, and um, you'll help me by doing that. Daniel chapter 6, and when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions. Daniel didn't shut the mouths of lions. God sent his angel to shut the mouths of these lions. And what happened? So that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him and I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the lion's den. So they took Daniel up out of the den and no injury whatsoever. Hallelujah. I want you to write that in the comment section. The gift of faith will protect me. The gift of faith protects me. He was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him. Because he believed in his God. Daniel was able to sleep in the midst of ravenous, you know, scholars today might go back and they say, well, the reason why Daniel, it wasn't really an angel came and shut the mouths of these lions. It was actually because uh, the time that Darius sent Daniel into, these into the lion's den, they had already actually been fed several days um, of food, like 15 minutes before, so they weren't necessarily hungry at that time. So like, you know, religious minds, they'll try and dismiss miracles. They try to explain away the power of God. But if you study it, the people that threw Daniel in the lion's den and conspired against Daniel, they were then thrown into the lion's den the day after Daniel got taken out, and their bodies didn't even hit the ground before they were shred to pieces. So these were hungry lions. Hungry, hungry hippos. Hungry, hungry lions. Their bodies couldn't even hit the ground before the lions had, had already torn them to pieces so that they were, they were just bones at that point. So they weren't, they weren't um, overly fed lions. They were starved, famished lions. 
But by the gift of faith, remember Hebrews 11, through faith, they subdued kingdoms. What does it mean to subdue a kingdom? Any kingdom that rose up against Israel by this same gift of faith, Hezekiah, strengthened the people when Sennacherib lined up against the people of Judah. And the Bible says when they were strengthened and fortified in faith, the Lord sent an angel. This gift called faith will more often than not, it, it will usher in angelic assistance to deal with the problem at hand. The angel came and struck down 185,000 trained soldiers. Hezekiah and the, and the Jews did not have to raise a finger. God worked for them without human assistance. So number one, this gift is going to protect you. You see that in Acts chapter 27. Paul is shipwrecked. Or their ship is like getting torn apart by this storm that's been there for like 14 days called Eurycliden. And the scripture says, God sent an angel to Paul one night and said, God has granted your life and the life of everyone on the ship. So Paul, the next day, by this same gift called faith, what does he do? He announces, my God has appeared to me by an angel yesterday. And he told me that we're not going to die. Only the ship's going to be lost. And I know that it shall be exactly as I've been told. I know it's going to turn out exactly as I've been told. The gift of faith will empower you to confess things that are opposite to what you're seeing. And in so doing, it will turn what you're seeing in the natural in your favor. The gift of faith empowers your tongue and your spirit to believe God for what is not naturally possible. Things that, you know, I've had this work through my life where I've seen people come to me and they were in rough shape. And even in my mind, when I saw them walk into the church service that night, I, st I thought, man, they look rough. But then I started preaching. Gift of faith came on me. I'd call them out, you know, pray for them. And then things would just turn for them. People in wheelchairs, pull them up out of a wheelchair. I've done that. that that's not, in my natural mind, I've done it with, if I was just operating by a human faith or by salvation faith or the measure of faith that we get at salvation, I would have probably not have ever yanked anybody out of a wheelchair because human reasoning would have blocked the way and said that, you know, what if she doesn't walk? But then I remember I was in Peckville, uh, Pennsylvania and I was with uh, two or three of my buddies and I don't know who preached that night and then the gift of faith came on her. That lady was in a wheelchair. We just, we just yanked her up and she started to walk, walk around the sanctuary without the need of of her wheelchair without the need of any assistance just by that the gift of faith flowing through us God went to work and did what was not normally possible and then the gift works in an area of provision you see that in 1st Kings 17 Elijah proclaims a drought over Israel and what happens God tells him go by the brook of Sherith and believe me, because I'm going to send ravens in the morning to bring you bread and meat, and ravens in the evening to bring you bread and meat. Elijah had that gift operating in him, because he had to believe, not only God was going to supply the food, God was bringing it by a raven, 
A raven by nature is not a provider, it's a scavenger. But by that gift, Elijah never wavered. That God, every morning he had his plate set and waited for that. He didn't have to do anything to work that miracle. He just believed God and the provision came. You see that in the, the life of that woman that was, uh, the creditors were coming to her house. Her husband had died. The creditors were coming to collect the debt her husband owed. And they were going to take her two sons away. Elisha is approached by her. And he says, what do you want me to do? He said, Lord, you know how my husband, your servant, feared the Lord. And they're coming to collect us. What did, what did uh, Elisha say? Go and collect some vessels and gather not just a few and begin to pour out the oil. By faith, she began to pour out the oil. She didn't do anything to make the oil multiply. It was the gift of faith. You know, in the natural, she would have, if she was just operating by human faith, she would have thought she was crazy. She would have thought herself foolish. She would have never have done it because of the ridiculousness of taking an empty jar and pouring it into another empty jar. But when the gift of faith operates, you lose the ability to doubt. You lose the ability to reason in your own mind. You lose the ability to, uh, to, to, to not believe. It is the supernatural faith of God. The perfect faith. The faith that has no doubt. That can say to a mountain, be moved from here to there. Number two in the power gifts is... And I, I can really talk about this gift. It's one of my favorite gifts to talk about. But I'm going to move on for the sake of time. Number two is the gifts of healing. The gifts of healing. Now people say, well, you know, if I don't have the gifts of healing, then I can't be used by God to heal anybody. That's not true. There are many ways God ministers healing to people. Number one, he does it through the simple faith of an individual. Jesus turned to that woman with the issue of blood when she'd received her healing and said, woman, your faith has made you whole. It wasn't a gift of healing in operation. It was her faith as she pressed through the crowd, touched the hem of his garment. When she did that, healing came into her body and uh, that was the end of her sickness and the ordeal with, with that sickness that had lasted 12 years. That wasn't the gifts of healing at work. You can have healing ministered to people just by calling the elders of the church, James chapter 5. And they anoint you with oil, praying the prayer of faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. That's another way. There's, um, you can take the ordinance of laying hands on people. Mark 16. You shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. That could be by the gifts of healing. But it could also just be you taking a step of faith in laying hands on people. And you doing that, God honors that step of faith. He's watching over His Word to perform it, and the people are healed. Healing can come merely through an encounter with the Word of God. He sent His Word, and it healed them. So just reading the Word, that's how I got healed. I was in my living room, listening to Isaiah 53 being preached, that by His stripes were healed, and it were, I had an encounter with the electricity of the Word, and without anyone laying hands on me, without being in, a, in an anointed service, without being uh, around the elders of the church, anointing me with oil, without any of that, I, I received divine healing just by hearing and receiving and believing the word. But there's another, there is a gifting that the Holy Spirit releases. 
in the body of uh, in, in the body of Christ called the gifts of healing. This is basically the extension of the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Remember, the Bible says when he was teaching in Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, many gathered around him, and the power of the Lord was present to heal those that were there. That was not just, you know, people hearing the word of God preached and then believing for themselves. As he was preaching, as he was teaching, the gifts of healing began to manifest in his, in his service so that the power of the Lord was present. His teaching brought that special healing anointing. That's what the gifts of healing is. It's a special healing anointing to heal specific diseases that are, that are at work in people's lives and bodies. And I want to note that the gifts of healing is not the gift of healing. It's not in the singular form of the word. It is the plurality of it, the gifts of healing. There is multiple functionings of this gifts. And we can see that uh, in Acts chapter 8, Philip, the Bible says people that were paralyzed or taken with palsy. So that was generally the anointing at work in Philip's ministry was directed towards people that had neurological disorders. Inability to walk. And um, that healing anointing that flowed through Philip was specific. It was like tailor-made towards people that uh, had neurological problems. That's not to say he, he wasn't used by God to heal others, but the specific anointing in Samaria that Philip was operating in was for, it's the Bible listed, people that were taken with palsy. You can see that in the life of um, Stephen Jeffries. Stephen Jeffries who was anointed of the Holy Ghost, was mightily used by God to see people that had rheumatoid arthritis healed. Everywhere he went, any type of rheumatism, anywhere he went, when he began to preach, an anointing hit the place where people with rheumatism, with rheumatoid arthritis, and any other form of rheumatism were supernaturally delivered on the spot. He didn't have much success in other areas, but when it came to that specific disease... God used him mightily to help alleviate um, people from that specific, that specific disease. You can see Smith Wigglesworth, people that had seizures, people that had um, seizures, and I believe in Wigglesworth ministry, people that had uh, intestinal problems, gastrointestinal problems. Oftentimes, were more, he even said it, more than any other disease, he saw people restored from seizures and from gastrointestinal problems. That's where he had, why? I have no idea. But those were the targeted anointings that Wigglesworth operated in when, he, when the gifts of healing were, in, were flowing through him. There's another man of God who it was blindness. In every one of his meetings, every time he saw someone come in with blindness, he knew it was going to be a good meeting because he knew God was going to open up that guy's, open up that guy's eyes. So you can see, there, there are multiple, some people say there's many gifts of healing as there are categories of sickness and disease. I've seen people, I've seen a lot of people healed of cancer in our ministry. I've seen it time and time again. Where people have been healed, probably more than anything else. 
More than back pains, more than neck pains. I've seen people healed of cancers. A lady just not too long ago in Saskatoon had brain cancer given over to death. And her, in our meeting, as she just sat in the meeting, God ministered to her. And the Lord healed her. That's not saying I have a gift, you know, I, you know, I have a gift to heal cancer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when the gifts of healing flow in my meetings, that's generally what I see done. Those are the extraordinary, the outstanding miracles that I see performed uh, when these gifts are at work in, and, and through, my meet, through, through me. You know, you have people like William Branham who was used mightily of God. To see deaf ears come open. More than anything else. He had an unusual anointing to see deaf ears open. So another thing is the gifts of healing is not, it's not your ability to treat someone's sickness. It's not doctoral. It's not medical. It has nothing to do with a natural source. It's absolutely supernatural. It is a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. All of these gifts are in, are in the supernatural. None of them have a natural working. You see this in Acts chapter 28. Paul goes to the island of Malta. And his uh, Publius' father-in-law is sick with dysentery and fever. Paul goes in, lays hands on him. He gets healed. And then when the gifts of healing start flowing, all of a sudden... Everyone on the island came to him and they were all healed. So there are unusual manifestations of where all the gifts of healing are in manifestation and everyone is getting healed. This happened in, uh, in uh, what's his name? A.A. Allen's ministry. A boy is brought to him who's blind, deaf, and has no bones in his feet. God worked a miracle through that boy, uh, through A.A. Allen into that boy's, that boy's body. And when that happened, there were f f uh, three or four rows of wheelchairs in the far right side of the auditorium. They all came up, got up, took their wheelchairs over their heads and brought it to the altar. And then everyone else in that meeting, R.W. Schambach said, it was the only meeting where I saw everybody healed. Well, that, that's an unusual thing. Because I've preached, I've preached. And I've seen services where one or two get healed. I've seen services where um, where, 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 where you know several get healed. But then I've seen I've been in, I've preached where in in my service after I've done preaching as I've invited people where I felt an anointing to pray for the sick. I've seen it where everyone at the altar got healed, no matter their illness, no matter their 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 sickness. So the gifts of healing is not just, you know, you, you don't have to have the gifts of healing to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You can do that by faith. But the gifts of healing, healing is an augmented, it's an unusual anointing to see people healed. Sometimes in specific areas of sickness and disease, and other times it could be anyone in the building. Number three, the working of miracles. This is like my favorite. This one is like my favorite. Acts 19.11. God worked unusual miracles through the hands of Paul. 
so that handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the sick left him. Acts chapter three, Peter and John are going to the hour of prayer. A man lame from his mother's womb looks on them expecting to receive charity from their hands and they say, look on us, silver and gold we have not, but such as we do have, get up. They seize him by the, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. They seize him by the right hand, lift him up, and that man who had never walked begins to walk. That is the working of miracles. The gift of faith is God doing something independently from you. It's where God, uh, God works for you, or God does something for you. The working of miracles is where you cooperate with God to perform something that violates the normal course of nature. A miracle by definition is the suspension of natural law to give way to the supernatural workings of God. A miracle is only a miracle in relation to men. In God's eyes and in God's system, it's just another day. A miracle is only a miracle in man's sight. In God's sight, it's just him acting. It is a divine act of God through man to effectuate change in a situation or in a scenario. A miracle is when heaven interrupts the natural course of man. Where do we see this? John chapter 6. They bring a little boy's lunch to Jesus. Jesus did not say, let's gather around this little lunch and we're just going to pray for God to multiply Jesus took the bread and broke it. He worked the miracle. And the result of that miracle was multiplication of bread. You see the same thing in the life of Elisha. Elisha is told by that Shunammite woman that her son had died. What did Elisha do? He said, I'm going to come and raise him from the dead. As he's on the way, Gehazi goes ahead of Elisha. Now I want you to see something. The working of miracles is not mimicking what you've seen others done and hoping it works through you. The working of miracles is an unusual anointing that comes on you and it's an inspiration where God moves you to do something that is extraordinary and that produces extraordinary results. It's not you seeing someone else do something and then you trying it. That, that, you'll, 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 be, you'll, be, uh, you'll be discouraged in doing that. You see someone operating in this specific gifting of the work of miracles and then think you can go out and do whatever. That's why, you know, Jesus healed everyone of all sickness, all disease. And the Bible says they brought to him at, at evening all that were taken with uh, demon spirits. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all that were sick. And then people say, well, you know what? Jesus did that. Why don't you go ahead and go to a hospital and clear out the hospital? Jesus, on that specific day, First of all, Jesus had the spirit without measure, whereas we have the spirit with measure. He had an, an immeasurable working of the Holy Spirit in him, whereas we grow in that measure. So you, like we talked about last week, Ezekiel 47, you have the ankle deep anointing, then you move on to waist deep, then you, you can grow in the anointing. Jesus had a perfect portion of that anointing. But then even Jesus who had an immeasurable amount of the anointing working through him and had worked miracles on that day. After the Sabbath was over, they brought to him all that were sick. Everyone left that place healed. But then he goes in the pool of Bethesda and only one person is healed that day. Was it because Jesus 
you know, didn't want to heal everyone else? No. Perhaps it was because only one person had faith to be healed that day. Perhaps the others were sneering at him. Perhaps the others were mocking him. Perhaps the others rejected him. There was only one who recognized him as son of David. And that guy got up off his sickbed. Does that mean that God does not want to heal everyone in every situation? In every No, he does. And I preach that strongly. But sometimes there is an unusual anointing by these giftings. where it, That's why I can't just go into a hospital and clear out the whole hospital. It doesn't work that way. People say, well, if you believe God's all-powerful and heals everyone, why don't you just go to the hospital and clear out everything? It doesn't work that way. There's order. The gifts of the Spirit are in order. And they're given to each man as he wills. If I felt on a gift, like I know a man, personally, who uh, was preaching a crusade in Africa, and he, he sensed an unusual anointing to work miracles, and specifically to unstop deaf ears. He began to pray for people that were on the field that had deaf ears. Now what he didn't know was that there was a hospital nearby who's, uh, you know, in Africa it's hot and not everywhere has air conditioning, so their windows were open, and the crusade speakers were transmitting what that man of God was speaking on the crusade field into their respective hospital rooms. Two days later, the, hosp the hospital shows up and says, you've cleared out our hospital. On that day, when you started to talk about miracles and pray for the sick, everyone, that everyone not one exception, everyone present that heard you preach that day, they left the hospital that same day. And they were angry at him because they made their money off not empty beds, they made their money off filling beds. And so they came and said, you have to pay all their bills because they left, they all left not wanting to pay any of their bills because they said, you didn't heal us, that guy did. Why should we pay you? So you can see that was an unusual working. The working of miracles is evidence in John chapter 2. This beginning of signs, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, how did that miracle, how was it worked? He told the servants, fill the water pots with water. And as they took the water to the master of the feast, it was converted to wine. They worked the miracle. Had they just, had they just, you know, sat back and said, no, you know, if you want to convert it to water, just, you know, make the water spontaneously appear. No, they had to cooperate with God to bring to pass that miracle. Naaman worked a miracle through, uh, for himself. He came to Elisha when he was sick with leprosy. He thought Elisha was going to come out and just wave his hand over him. And by the gift of faith, release healing into his life. No, and I want to make a special note right now. All of these gifts are activated by faith. You step out in the faith you have and these gifts are released. If you don't step out in your normal ordinary general faith that you have you're never going to see these gifts flow through you so you have to step out in faith when you do then these gifts take over and then the supernatural comes into operation so elisha naaman was ticked at him because he thought he was going to just wave his hand and the miracle would happen but elisha said go and dip he told elisha in essence he was saying go and work the miracle yourself and when he Heard those words, he got ticked at Elisha and said, there's better rivers in Damascus. Why would I have to come all this way for me to bathe in that filthy river called Jordan? But the servant of, the, of uh, Naaman said, if he had told you to do some difficult thing, wouldn't you have done it all the more? Oh, yeah, you're right. So he went and he dipped. He worked the miracle himself. 
When he dipped the seventh time, his flesh was restored like that of a child. Jesus worked miracles for the blind. John chapter 9. He spat on the ground. And he made clay and anointed the eyes of the man born blind. And he went and saw and came. He went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus did not speak over his eyes. That would have been a gift of faith in operation. It was the working of miracles. He worked the miracles. Until your faith gets to work, this miracle power will never work through you. And I want to tell you, the Bible does say, are all workers of miracles, miracles, are all operating in gifts of healings, are all apostles, are all, a teach, are all teachers. Paul was saying that in any given church context, not everyone is getting up to work miracles. Not everyone. He's saying in a, in a church service, not everyone's standing up as an apostle. Not everyone is operating in gifts of healing. But he's not saying that you as an individual don't expect to work in miracles. It's reserved for a special class of people. He's saying these gifts are available to you to operate in, but not everyone is going to take over in a given service and start flowing in these anointings. No. So he's not trying to discourage you and saying, well, you know what? If you've never worked a miracle, it's probably because, you know, God doesn't want to use you in the working of miracles. No, these gifts are available to you. If you, you know, I have a desire to see people helped. I have a desire to see people healed i have a desire i hate seeing people in wheelchairs i hate seeing people blind i hate seeing people not uh operating in the original function of man which genesis 1 says was very good if it's not very good in someone's life i hate seeing it there so if i want to see people come out of wheelchairs i know this is the gift that i need to earnestly covet and crave after so that it can begin to flow in my life and help people the way I want to help people. We're not called to sympathize with people. We're not called to, to, to feel bad and pity people. We're called to help people. The Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. This gift called the working of miracles empowers us to destroy the work of cirrhosis of the liver, to destroy the work of, of, of um, paralysis, to destroy the work of multiple cirrhosis, to destroy the work of blindness, to destroy the work of what death would bring on an, on an individual. Remember, the whole creation is eagerly awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. The world is waiting for people to rise up in these giftings, giftings and begin to work miracles as in days of old. We don't serve an age. We don't have a God that operated in the age of miracles we serve the god of miracles and if we'll get to work and begin to desire earnestly these gifts to work and operate and flow through us then the same god that hastened over his word to perform it in days of old is hastening over he's still looking for one whose heart is loyal to him who is steadfastly inclined unto his purposes that he might show himself strong on their behalf that's who you are I believe God has drawn you to this broadcast because gone are the days of you looking at people in, in, in destruction, people that are hurt, people that are broken, people that need your help, that that help can come by natural means and methods. 
The working of miracles isn't us helping people naturally. It is a supernatural working of God's power. Another word for the working of miracles is dynamis. The energamat dynamis. The effectual working of God's dynamite. So that what can't be solved by human reasoning or by human uh, uh, technological advancements, what can't be solved by through human help, what is impossible with man, unto him, now unto him, Paul said, who is able to do far more abundantly. God wants to do far more abundantly what man has ever seen, what man has ever conceived in his heart by that power that doesn't work mystically and uh, randomly in the air, by that power that is at work in you. Hallelujah. 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 This working of miracles, it'll enable you to operate in supernatural strength, even in your own body. Samson took up a jawbone of a donkey and slaughtered a thousand Philistines because the working of, this gift of the working of miracles, which oftentimes is referred to as the hand of the Lord coming on someone. Elijah, the hand of the Lord came on him. He outran the chariots of Ahab. That's not humanly possible to outrun a horse unless it's like a horse that has two legs. But those weren't horses that had two. Those were powerful king horses backed up by state-of-the-art chariots that the king had. And Elijah outran the horses of Ahab to the wall of Jezreel. This, this power was at work in, in the life of David. He, he couldn't wrestle a bear. That was the hand of God that came on him. And it's not something that stays on you forever. Remember, Samson wasn't walking around constantly, you know, supernaturally strong. The Bible says anytime he did a, like a crazy feat, an exploit, it was right after the hand of the Lord came on him. And the hand of the Lord, even in that last, hallelujah. You want to know why I'm convinced that the working of miracles is going to be more evidence in these last days than ever before? Samson, which is a type of the church, had the anointing, then flirted with the world, lost the anointing through Delilah, which was like uh, 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 the world personified. He mingled with the wrong people, lost the anointing. Which you can lose the anointing, which is something you should fear to do. But when the, when the anointing left him, what happened? The strength that he had before, he, could, he tried to break free. He couldn't break free. But then when they bound him and they gouged his eyes off... As he was bound between two pillars, he prayed a prayer. And this is the prayer I'm praying for the body of Christ today. And to you watching online who are part of the body of Christ. He said, Lord, one more time. Let that wonderful working of miracles, that spirit of might come on me. That I might do one more victory before I die. And the, the hand of the Lord came on him one more time as it, as it did back in former times. And the pillars, those weren't tiny little sticks. Those were massive concrete pillars. He ripped them to shreds. And the foundations of the buildings crumbled 
And everyone in that building died. All the Philistines. And he killed more in his death than he did in his whole lifetime. That is a, 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 a symbol that in these last days, before the church is raptured, before the church is taken up, before the return of Jesus Christ, before we leave this earth, there will be, yes, there, in the last, you know, couple of years especially, there have been many that have departed from the faith. There have been many that have severed ties with the anointing. There have been many that have looked outward for church success, for growth in their own churches. But I believe God is raising up a remnant that have that cry in their hearts. Lord, we know your return is soon and we're not going out as weak, emaciated, defeated people. Lord, empower your church with this working of miracles one more time. That before our departure, we'll win more people to the Lord in the last hundred years, the last 20 years. How many years we have left on this earth before the rapture happens? More people will come to Jesus. Greater harvest of souls in the coming years than that which has been witnessed since the inception of the church in Acts chapter 2. I firmly believe it. And it's not going to come by wonderful programs and scheduled dramas and plays and beautiful worship set. No, it's going to come as these giftings begin to flow through the body of Christ once more. God is raising a remnant of believers up who have not bowed to Baal, who have not kissed the feet of this world, who are crucified to this world and this world crucified to them, who say, Lord, forsake me not, uh, even when I'm gray-headed and old of age, until I show your power to this generation that men might see that there is no other God except the Most High God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not gonna, we're not going to convince this generation. Another generation rose up that did not know the Lord, nor the power he had done for Israel. There's a generation who's not seen God's power at work. Because there's, not all, but there are many churches that have totally abandoned. They've bought into religious dogma. And they've made void the power of God because they keep to tradition. This is how it worked back then. There's some people who are still clinging to Azusa Street and what he did then. Wonderful what he did then. Amazing. But he's got more in store today. And I'm not going to put God in the box of Azusa Street and what happened then. Because God's going to do a new work today. Which Isaiah says if he would tell you, you wouldn't even believe it. So quit criticizing Start to jump on the bandwagon of faith and be a part of what God's doing. R.W. Schambach went to India and did a crusade there, rented out a big stadium. Night one, there's like a thousand people that showed up. That's a failure in India. When you have a stadium that seats 40, 50,000 people and a thousand people show up, you, you failed miserably. So what did he do? He was preaching on night one. And the Lord showed him a plan. That woman in the front seat, she's well known to everyone. Call her up. He calls her up and sees that she's blind. And the Lord says to him, pray. Pray in the name 
of uh, Mohammed for this lady. So he tells the people, I'm going to pray right now in the name of Mohammed. And we're going to pray for her eyes to come open. He prays, nothing happens. Then the Lord says, now pray in the name of one of their other gods. Uh, of another god, a Hindu god. He prays, nothing happens. Finally, the Lord says, now pray in my name. He says, now I'm going to pray in the name that is above every other name. He grabs her and prays in the name of Jesus. The moment he does, her eyes come open. The crowd erupts in awestruck wonder. And the next night, the stadium was packed with people. What did that? Was it because he, you know, they, they weren't sure if he was like a great teacher on night one, but then they saw him. He was so articulate. What a gifted speaker. And they came night two. No. They saw these people. If they will not believe my words, they will believe my works. They saw the wonders of the anointing at work. And they didn't need any further help. <laughs> the, the, the Sanhedrin sends officials, captains of the guard to arrest Jesus. When they come to Jesus and saw the miracle, miraculous, miraculous things that he did, they came back empty-handed and they said, didn't we send you to go and uh, arrest him? How is it you've come back empty-handed? Uh, sir, nobody ever spoke like this guy. And nobody's ever done what this guy is a teacher come from God. No man can do what this guy does unless God be with him. Are you also wanting to become like his disciples? So you see. The, these wonderful giftings facilitate our task. They facilitate our task greatly. Gifts of faith, gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. I pray right now for everyone watching right now that these giftings will be released in you. As you've, some of you have had a desire to help people beyond human help, beyond natural ability to help, and you've been frustrated because all you've ever done is hold them in prayer. God is going to activate these gifts in you. Some of you have panted for these gifts. You have drooled to see these. Not so that you can have, not for self-glorification, not for self-gratification, but for God-glorification. To bring glory to God. Which, obviously, that's the prerequisite to operate in these gifts. If it's for self, you'll never, you'll never have them. If it's for people to see you, if it's for people to, to, to be wowed by you, to strike on the people for you, you'll never have them. And if you have that heart and you ever see someone healed, you can know it ain't God. If you see any miracles or supernatural occur around you, you can know it ain't God. Your motives have to be pure and clean. The scripture says when they are, when you covet earnestly these gifts, they will flow through you. But you have to step out in faith. These gifts are faith activated. You'll never work a miracle if you don't take the first step to actually go out and... Moses... Gets before the Red Sea. Lord, what are we supposed to do? Didn't I give you that rod? You should work signs and wonders with it. When Moses took the rod and tapped the sea, what happened? The sea split. He had to have that initial faith to take the rod up and tap the sea. When he did, that's when the miracle was worked. 
That's when the miracle kicked in. When he took the rod and tapped the ground and the dust became uh, locusts to go and devour the crops of the Egyptians, Moses had to have faith that if he took the rod and tapped, God didn't do that for him. He did that. And that is what worked the miracles. Those are all Old Testament types and shadows or symbols, or not even symbols, they're types of the working of miracles operating through Old Testament saints. And then I, I told you several of them operating through New Testament believers. Peter, when he went to um, Tabitha's house, he cleared everyone out of the room. She had died. Dorcas, seller of purple goods, died. Was a nice lady, nice Christian girl. And they implored Peter to come by and heal her or uh, to raise her from the dead. He walks in. He lays beside her bed and prays. Gets up and lifts her up off that bed. That was a working of miracles. He didn't just pray. and No, he prayed and then he said, Tabitha, get up. I pray these begin to flow through you at an unprecedented level. Beyond what you've been able to ask or see or think, I pray by this glorious power at work in you, wonderful things would be wrought through you to the glory of God from this day onward. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.